Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is September 14th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Kyle Cheney, who is the congressional reporter for Politico. Thanks for joining me, Kyle, on a uh, an, another busy Friday. They're, they're all they're all busy these days. Thanks, thanks for having me, Charlie. Okay, well, let's uh, start off by the uh, the big breaking story, uh, and I want to get some sense of what we know and what we don't know. Um, the uh, the Manafort plea deal that it looks mm-hmm. like uh, that that Manafort is uh, has cut a deal with the yes. special prosecutor, but we don't know yet whether that means he's going to be a cooperating witness. That's the big unanswered question, and it's amazing how much Mueller's able to keep under wraps about this. We we know it's a maximum ten year sentence, which is pretty generous considering what he could have faced. Um, but the question is then, did he agree to give them something? And what does something mean? Does it mean about Trump and collusion? Does it mean about other uh, bit players in this whole drama? So we don't know that yet. Yeah. So we we, we can speculate. There's there, there's there's no way that this is not uh, um, troubling news to the, to the president. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of sure. speculation that that the only reason the Paul Manafort had not cut a deal until now was he was still uh, holding out hope for a pardon. Uh, and of course, that's that's a card that's that's right. still out there. But here's another win for the Miller, the Mueller investigation. Um, b- bottom line that they're not going to have to go in front of that jury. Actually, neither one right. of them is going to have to go. So that well, let's talk about the, the without speculating too much about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting results in the primary elections. They're still going on. Um, mm-hmm. Big vote in New York where where Andrew Cuomo um, won but two to one over progressive challenger Cynthia Nixon. Um, and, and and a couple of other results as as well would suggest yep. that that maybe we need to dial down the narrative about the Democratic Party's yeah. lurch to the left. I mean, th- this this is not 2010. There's clearly a lot of tensions within the Democratic Party, factional tensions. But this is not the the second coming of the Tea Party here. Uh, there's been a couple of big upsets: the uh, Ayanna Presley winning over Mike Capuano in Massachusetts, uh, and, and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York. Um, but other than those two major stories, these insurgents have not really been winning the high-profile races. Um, one caveat is that a lot of the down-ballot races in New York did see some insurgent victories. So Cuomo was the big winner uh, and, and sort of uh, tamping down that narrative. But there was, there was some restive uh, part of the party base win, uh, winning uh, in some primaries down-ballot. Yeah, uh, knocking off a bunch of uh, Democratic incumbent senators, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly, it's kind exactly. Of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And, and New York is sort of a, it's such a fascinating and, and sort of o- almost unique kind of a place. It's hard to draw too many conclusions from uh, the political, the politics there. But uh, yeah, when you see the, that that many, uh, I think it was six or seven uh, incumbents that that got got taken out, uh, you know, in a state where there are a number of moderate Democrats. Um, you know that that does tell you something about where the base is. The uh, one of the big storylines this week uh, was uh, the, the the president's comments and tweets about Puerto Rico. Um, what what kind of a reaction were you getting on the Hill, particularly after the president uh, tweeted out yesterday, basically <laughs> denying the 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 death toll and suggesting that somehow this was a democratic scam? Right. I mean, it, the, the whole statement itself was was on its face pretty preposterous um but you had two camps you had the the bulk of the republicans on the hill basically saying nothing or or something sort of you know mealy-mouthed about it 
and then the retiring Republican. That sounds familiar, by the way. There's <laughs> a little a, bit of deja vu there, isn't there? It, it is. It is it's sort <laughs> of the they, they're very practiced at this now, uh, saying nothing about when the, the president tweets, tuning it out, trying to tune it out. Um, the retiring Republicans like uh, Ileana Ross Letnin of, of Florida, where they know the, you know, the Puerto Rican population very well. Uh, she had some more harsh words for the president, said it, he, he appeared to have a warped mind to be able to suggest that this was a hoax and, and other people suggested it was a heartless, but fairly quiet from the bulk of Republicans on the Hill. That, that is that is the pattern. So give me just some some sense stepping back for, for a moment. Mm-hmm. What, what is the mood on the Hill going into this this election? I mean, what you know, you're, you're there all the time. Yeah. What, what, you know, I mean, obviously they have decided that they are going to double down. They're not right. going to break with Trump. Um, there were some comments from, from Florida politicians, including the, you know, the, the governor mm-hmm. and, uh, and DeSantis mm-hmm. uh, distancing themselves. But um, on, on the, on the Hill, they, they're, they're right. Trumpism is the hill that they are prepared to die on, apparently. Right. And, well, that, that probably that, will. That that Ron DeSantis comment actually was sort of a gentle rebuke, but it was yeah. notable because he's been one of the president's staunchest allies in, when he was in Congress. He's now stepped down uh, to run for governor. But um, you know, the, the the mood on the Hill is is we got to they, they just got to get through the next seven weeks and try to tune out as much of this noise as they can. They had a meeting, a closed door meeting yesterday, where they talked about how how to promote their economic message and basically ignore any of the other scandals and you know this, this Manafort plea deal for example is another tempest that they have to deal with but but are going to try to tune out when they go home to their districts yeah good good luck with that I mean I I get every every, every day I, my my email box fills up with uh, with press releases from from the speaker's office and and, and Paul Ryan has been right. really remarkably disciplined in trying to focus mm-hmm. on the economy and on, on mm-hmm. the things things they're doing and I'm struck every single day by how frustrating it must be because right. every single day that message is stepped on by some breaking story or some presidential tweet. Right. And then the president himself, I mean, uh, you know, I've seen uh, very smart analyses of this, but sent, you know, if he was relentlessly on message about the economy, this might be a very different electoral environment, yeah. but he is constantly stepping on that message, you know, tweeting what he did about Puerto Rico yesterday, forcing lawmakers to answer for that. And, you know, another, it's another day people aren't talking about what are actually really robust economic numbers. Um, the other thing that puzzles me, and I've, I've talked about this this before, and, you know, because I have such a long relationship with, 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 with Paul Ryan and mm-hmm. with other fiscal hawks, including, you know, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. Johnson probably have had, I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I've probably had more than a hundred shows or conversations with them about the the deficit and how terrible the deficit was and the threat and threat posed by the national debt bomb. So I I, I continue to find it head spinning that you have a Republican Congress now presiding over what we found out this week was going to be a trillion dollar deficit by the end of what, uh, 2020. And and now that they have, the House has decided to move ahead with making those tax cuts permanent, mm-hmm. which by depending on which projection you look at, will add another two, two to three or more trillion dollars to the national debt. What is the thinking there uh, on, on, on the Hill other than that the Republicans have decided that that nobody cares about deficits anymore? I think that's it. In a nutshell, I mean, is, you know, the the deficit and debt responsibility politics doesn't play as well as the sort of shorter term 
uh, you know, sugar highs you get from from the ta- these tax cuts. And, and even if you believe that the tax cuts are a sound fiscal policy, um, it's eye popping when you look at these numbers. And, and this is what Republicans warned would happen if you had a Democratic Congress, a Democratic yeah. president. Um, and now it's on, it's an overdrive. And, and I think in some ways, you know, Republicans have, have successfully branded themselves as the party of, of you know reducing deficits and spending. But then when they actually get the levers of power, don't necessarily carry that out and kind of get some ways get a pass because they talk about talked about the debt and deficit for so long and in such a different way than Democrats do. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like the Democrats are going to be able to plausibly say, and by the way, we are the party of fiscal res- respo- responsibility here. Well, and in some ways that you actually have seen glimpses of that. They've taught some Democrats have raised this and said, you know, this is this is uh, obscene. Some of these numbers, it it does. You know, uh, it, it's going to be a hard sell for them to make that connect with voters. Um, but it probably they're actually giving them an opportunity to tr- to make that that attempt. Yeah. Speaking of issues that that appear to be having a little bit of traction um, all over the country, Democrats have really seized on health care, in particular, going after Republicans for. Um, uh, what the, what they say is their attempt to undermine uh, protections yeah. or, or eliminate protections for pre-existing conditions. And here in Wisconsin, Governor Scott Walker, who's in a very tough uh, re-election fight, has mm-hmm. just gone up with an ad uh, trying to push back on on that on that that charge. Uh, d- Democrats, um, at least they think that they have seized on a, a right. winning issue for them. And and quite frankly, I you know every Republican that I've ever talked mm-hmm. to would say that you know. On on healthcare, you don't want to be in the position of of eliminating protections for I mean, even the strongest right. support of opponents right. of Obamacare say well, you, you don't want to you don't want to be there. Uh, so how is that issue playing? I mean, the Democrats were derided for a very long time, especially after 2016, of having having no message, uh, no no clear organizing principle, and I think they have seized on healthcare. You know, you know, as much as people say, look, this is an anti-Trump election, they're going to just talk Trump, Trump, Trump all the time. We're actually seeing a surprising amount of unity, in, mm. even in districts that aren't, you know, left-leaning, where they're talking about the protections of the Affordable Care Act, and in a way that Democrats ran away from, you know, years earlier. It, it, the health law killed them for multiple cycles. I think, at least four political cycles. Um, but now it's it's become an advantage, and even in states, you know, you know red state senators are talking up. The protections of the Affordable Care Act in a way that would have been unimaginable. Uh, so I think they're just going to stick with that uh, message. Maybe as much as they talk about Trump, they'll be talking about health care and pre-existing conditions. So how, how do the two political parties process the the, the Kavanaugh hearings and, and how they they went? Uh, my, my my sense was that obviously they didn't uh, they you know they they did not derail Kavanaugh. Right, I, I, right. You tell me if I'm wrong about this. The you know the the conventional wisdom is is that he's going to be confirmed and probably relatively yep. easily confirmed uh, within the next uh, the next couple of weeks. Um, but you certainly had a lot of you know histrionics. Uh, yep. So do, do are, are Democrats looking in the mirror and going, hey, yeah, we you know we 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 did what we had to do. I, I don't think so because I think I think in particular the the base of the party they want to stop this nomination. I mean they, mm-hmm. I think they I think maybe there is an awareness that they can't you know the you know, the numbers just aren't there most likely to stop him. But you know they, they're so short of that I don't think the base will be satisfied. But I think you know de- Democrats landed some some blows and they have some legitimate points about uh, access to documents and some of the frustrations mm-hmm. they had. But I think in some cases you saw some overreach and some some attempts to make. Uh, 
smaller issues, much much larger uh, dramas and crises. Um, you know, ending with this this what well, we still don't know. We still have a ton of questions about this letter that that Senator Feinstein sent mm, to the FBI yeah. about. Um, you know, it sounds it's still a mystery, but it, if it doesn't amount to much, it's going to end up looking like a sort of last minute you know, a desperate ploy here. Yeah, I, I had a piece up earlier, you know, Democrats behaving badly. And I, I do agree that there are, look, there are legitimate reasons why, if you are a, a liberal Democrat, that, that you're going to be concerned about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. I, I have concerns about his his view of uh, of executive power and whether or not he should recuse himself from Trump-related cases. But, you know, having said that, the, the Cory Booker show and the Kamala Harris yeah. show um, were, were, were not great moments. And, and one of the points I tried to make is that what actually Politico made this comparing their tactics to Trump, you know, just sort of throwing out right. a, a, you know, unsupported allegation and, you know, in order to you know make heads explode, um, that, that this is not necessarily a good look for the Democrats. But what really struck me was the pushback, how emotional and how extreme the rhetoric has become. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that I got uh, back was, I have to tell you, absolutely word for word identical to the things that we got from, you know, pro-Trump folks, uh, the, the Trumpists, wow. which is that, you know, we can't be polite. You know, it's, you know, it's time to take off the gloves, even if that apparently means, you know, throwing out things that you can't support. Now, there's this Diane Feinstein who now Diane Feinstein has, has really been a grown up in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for her at the very last moment, minute, to put out a letter, and we don't know much about it, is that apparently right. it's an allegation of something that he may or may not have done back in high school. Right. And that's all just based on reports, you know, yeah. from an, from anonymous officials. So, but, I mean, look, it's, it's hard to even prejudge the letter. Maybe it is a serious issue. Um, and we just don't, we just really don't know. But the problem is when you put it out with zero detail, zero context, it leads to this wild speculation. And then you've got, you know, Democrats, some Democrats saying, oh, we need to postpone the vote because we have mm. to find out what this is. And they don't know what it is. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's led to a lot of um, guessing uh, and that and and in some cases irresponsible guessing. And that uh, really just coarsens the rhetoric yeah. and coarsens the dynamic even more up here. E- e- even more, just when you thought, uh, well, yeah. the... The, the phrase, you know, is there a bottom? Apparently not. Um, but it, the um, the FBI said it's not going to be investigating this. Uh, is this because they've already investigated it? Uh, do, we, do we know why I, they basically decided to, uh, to you know, say, yeah, no? I, I wish I knew more about it. I, I really don't. I've, I've seen the reports. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen the suggestion that they're not they're not pursuing this. Maybe it is something they looked at. Maybe it's something they're just finding out about. Or or maybe and some I think I saw one suggestion it was a state or local law enforcement matter, so it wouldn't be a, a federal law enforcement issue. But again, uh, you know, without the detail, it's really hard to say why you know what matters and what doesn't here. Um, I want to uh, switch back to uh, what's going on in the in, in the House of Representatives uh, because there there have been a lot of reports about uh, you know G- the the speaker bid by Jim George. Jordan, sure. um, which I'll be honest with you, it's it's hard for me to take that seriously, you know, given, you know, his just to who he is, his behavior, some of the issues surrounding him. Um, but um, well, give me some sense. I mean, how 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 real is the Jim? I mean, are Republicans really, you know, thinking about Jim Jordan for speaker or for minority leader? I don't think so. And I think that uh, even Jordan's allies would suggest that he's got a uphill battle and that's putting it generously to become the GOP leader or speaker. Um, I, I think what, it, you know, what the conventional wisdom is, is he wants to maximize his leverage so that 
in a future GOP leader fight, uh, he can, you know, deliver a bunch of votes to the ultimate winner and then use that to sort of broker a great committee chairmanship or some other senior position for him and other allies in the Freedom Caucus. That's the conventional wisdom, but they are putting on a lot of pressure on some of these some of these members of the House. Look, the president calls out Jim Jordan every day as an ally mm-hmm. and a warrior for him, and and I think you know if there's a sense that that the pres that this is going to be a Democratic Congress where impeachment battle is is uh, imminent or, or inevitable, then maybe they want someone like a you know a Jordan to be there you know, spearheading the the resistance or the pushback to that. Um, mm. but you know, Jordan has made a lot of enemies over the years in the Republican conference with the, the freedom caucus's hardline tactics. So it's hard to envision him getting enough support to get there. Uh, it, it, it is, but you know, who, who knows what's going to happen between now and, uh, and when, when they actually do the, have this, have the leadership election, you right. know, and, and you mentioned the pushback. Uh, on what I think is pretty close to inevitable um, impeachment push in a Democratic uh, House of Representatives. So I know you have written uh, a great deal about uh, the the Russia probes, the intelligence sure. committees, um, and and guys like Jim Jordan and you know Mark Meadows have uh, you uh-huh. know been, been been I mean made it very clear that they're going to go to the oh before I get to the Russia probe I'm interrupting sure. myself here. Um, have you have you read the Woodward book or you you saw the excerpts where I have read um, most of the excerpts I haven't read the whole book cover to cover yet. Well, the the interesting I wanted to ask you about this uh, little little tidbit about Mark Meadows the day after mm-hmm. the election, basically telling Steve Bannon about a plan that they were going to yeah. get rid of Paul Ryan um, and, you know, which makes it more extraordinary that nothing ever happened. Right. I think, you know, the, the president was, was at that point probably shocked that he, he won, <laughs> um, but also in that club. That, Right. And, and so for a guy who who picked every battle, I think side of is going to pick his battles uh, more uh, selectively at right at right in the aftermath of the election uh, and decide, I guess, decided that ousting Ryan wasn't the best play. Um, you know, this happens a lot with the president. He's got competing factions. You know, he's got Reince Priebus was his chief of staff, you know, chief of staff at that time. So and obviously a close ally of Speaker Ryan and probably. Uh, got in his ear and made and, and kept anything like that from happening because Bannon and the Freedom Caucus have been thrilled to oust Ryan. But then the question is, who's the next speaker? Um, and there was never a clear choice after Ryan. Well, that's that's how uh, you got Ryan in the first place. Right. I mean, exactly. McCarthy, the, no, right. McCarthy wants to be speaker now. Uh, couldn't get the votes. Uh, it should it would have been in a norm, normal environment, probably would have been him. Um, but Ryan came in as the, the, the dark horse or the, the savior, I guess, at that moment. And now there's really a, the successor is, is hard to pinpoint. Well, you made you made an interesting point. When we were talking about Jim Jordan, that the the leaders, the Republican leader in the next Congress may have, you know, job number one will be to be basically the goalie, the uh, you know, mm-hmm. the person, the person in the net defending the president against right. the, the investigations and the attacks. So let, let's do, now talk about the the, the, the Russia probe sure. and, 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 and where we are at on all of that. There were a couple of votes this week, uh, sort of, I feel like every everything that's not Trump is under the radar. It's obviously not under the radar, <laughs> where, where, where every Republican voted against the measure to try to get more information about what happened at that Helsinki summit. Everyone. Yeah. On, on the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee. Yeah. The, uh, so Democrats have used it in their, their limited tool, you know, toolbox. Uh, they have this option to force a vote on a resolution that could demand documents from the administration. They've used this time and again, documents about the, the Jim Comey firing, that, you know, and Jeff Sessions recusal and 
and, and things like that. Um, in this case, they try to force the State Department to turn over all the records uh, up leading up to and post uh, Helsinki, where you know the president had that fairly disastrous press conference and uh, you know drew co- condemnation on you know for all sides. Uh, and I think the, the Republicans gave a pretty standard rebuttal of this. They said, "Look." A president should have the ability to conduct foreign policy. We shouldn't expect to receive, uh, you know, all the records that to tell you what they said, what they were going to say, what they might have said. Um, but uh, um, but the Democrats say, look, this is not a normal dynamic, so we can't treat this like a normal dynamic. Um, but the Republicans prevailed because they have the numbers. Yeah, at least at least for now. But that's a kind of a preview of what you might see from a Democratic Congress. Exactly. That's that's what I watch for in all of these things. Democrats, you know, a lot of times people just dismiss them, shrug it off. So they're just making noise. They're just mm-hmm. doing what they can for the before the election. But everything they do is if they do take the House is, is could a window into what they could pursue and will have the numbers to pursue and the subpoena power and authority to pursue uh, if they're in charge. Well, it, the my understanding is the basically the House is 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 done with the Russia probe. I mean, they just shut it down. Um, you know, mm-hmm. n- n- nothing to nothing to see here. Is, is there anything going on in Capitol Hill, or has that essentially been completely outsourced now to the special well, prosecutor? Well, the Senate Senate Intelligence Committee is still active, and as we even saw yesterday they authorized the sharing of of new documents with uh, the special counsel. Um, related mm-hmm. to Manafort. Uh, so when we don't know what those are exactly, but um, they've done that a couple of times and they're still bringing in witnesses. Um, you know, and, and so that's going on. The House side has become more consumed with this effort to highlight what they call it, what they allege is misconduct by people in the Justice Department and the FBI. Um, they're running out of time to really land a, a death blow here, though, if they're really, that's the, if that's the goal, because they're, um, there's only a few weeks left where they're even going to be on the Hill. Uh, and then, you know, and, you know, then the Dems may take over. So, so we're in this sort of home stretch here for if there's going to be a, a, you know, key finding of misconduct by senior leaders at the FBI, some final conclusive report, uh, we may have to see that soon. Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine anything coming out of the House Republicans that's going to mm-hmm. be a fundamental game changer there. I mean, we, we, we sort of know where, where they are at. Yeah, in in a lot of ways, it's a PR battle at this point with with the Mueller investigation. It's it's a sense to, you know, by highlighting all of what they call bias and misconduct at the FBI uh, during the Russia probe, uh, it, it helps a get the president really ginned up and b sort of sets the scene for if Mueller issues a report, uh, giving the president will have fodder for a rebuttal. <laughs> Let's uh, let's switch back to the just the, the, the politics of the midterm. Uh, you know, we, we've had a number of polls which would suggest that the president has uh, has dropped uh, after, you know, several months of of, of, of stasis. And then you had, um, you know, Mitch McConnell essentially saying that, uh, hey, you know what, this uh, the Senate majority is not lock solid. It's, it's going to be a knife fight now. Um, yeah. uh, up until this week, um, I think it looked overwhelmingly likely that Republicans would retain control of the Senate. Mm-hmm. You can disagree with me if you like, you know, because the, the map is just is so tilted in, in their favor. Oh, that's right. But, so what, what is what is your sense? Is, is, is McConnell genuinely worried? Is that Republican majority really at risk? Or is this just sort of a, hey, this is what I need to do when I put out that fundraising letter to, you know, make yeah. people you know, to turn out the base and make sure that the, fu- the, the funders write out their big checks? I think it's it's a little of both because they had some surprising poll numbers in Texas that showed Ted Cruz may have a tougher race on his hands in a state that should be a, you know, a gimme for Republicans. Um, Tennessee race where Phil Bredesen, the former governor, is running the, Demo- the Democrat. 
uh, and he's actually competitive with the Republican nominee, Marsha Blackburn. Um, you know, th- these are races that if Republicans can't win them, then, you know, all bets are off as to who's going to take the Senate. Um, but, you know, even if Democrats were to manage to pick off those, they still have to hold uh, so many Senate races that are that are looking so close right now that, you know, yes, if everything suddenly surges in Democrats' favor um, at the last minute, everyone breaks towards Democrats, then, yeah, they could take the Senate. But that would require really a full-scale wave and uh, very little margin for error. So I think it, 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 right. It but, is like drawing to an inside straight at this point. I mean, but, right. It's doable, but it's it's still an uphill <laughs> if if you could do have a three just even a three point shift toward the Democrats between now and November, you have a lot of those seats that suddenly, yeah. you know, flip, flip from from red to blue. And I think that's the the anxiety because I, I use the analogy, but there's probably a better analogy that this is this is like a, a jump ball. And so which yeah. way is the is the wind blowing and the winds are blowing rather hard at the moment um, again against the Republicans. But of course, as we know, Everything can change really quickly. And what is it, seven weeks now? Right. And as, as I've seen some other reporters point out, look, the, the, the WikiLeaks stuff, all that craziness that influenced the last months of the, of the 2016 election, that all didn't start till you know, early October. So not that we're going to see a repeat of that, but things can happen in the last month that really change the trajectory. You know, it's it's interesting you 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 mentioned that because you know I've given a lot of thought to you know that 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 election and and the you know certain days that were so pivotal like October seventh people forget mm-hmm. October seventh you had the release of the Access Hollywood video the Obama administration re- released that uh, that you know uh, the, the intelligence communities yeah. uh, the intelligence community saying that that the, the Russians were were you know were were attacking the election and then you had um, some of the WikiLeaks. Yep. Uh, leaks of of the pedestrian all all in one day a month yep. before the election right and and, uh, and you know other than that you know maybe they have the, you have the comey announcement of reopening the, mm-hmm. the email oh, God, investigation yeah. later on but other than that like that one day you know may have changed the entire trajectory of the race and that's you know we're not at october 7th yet in this cycle i think congressional races are harder to say you know it's not going to be one pivotal moment that changes every race in the country but you know it, within individual races is so many so many opportunities for things to shift uh, back and forth like like in the texas race like in arizona you know which is going to be a, a difficult fight no, it's uh, uh, it, it, so who is the most vulnerable? If you had to make a just a, a, a top three list, who's the most vulnerable Democrat? Uh, Would I mean, it be maybe, Heidi Heitkamp? Yeah, Heitkamp is the one that polls consistently show her down by a little, by like you know, three or four points, but consistently. Um, I think you know Dem- Democrats are probably the most concerned about whether they can hold her seat, and if they lose her, her seat, they got to run the table everywhere else mm-hmm, to, to mm-hmm. take the Senate. So. Um, if you if you count her as a as a loss, then you know you really have you need a royal flush, not just an inside straight to 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 win the Senate for Democrats. Um, uh, Claire McCaskill in Missouri is going to be tough. Uh, mm-hmm. She's, she's always tough, even. though. She's I mean, yeah. that, that that's always you know. I mean her I mean her race yeah her race is always tough. She theoretically probably should have lost her last one and probably should should lose this right. one given the politi- the general political climate, but has somehow managed to uh, outrun her her opponents. Um, you know, Joe Manchin is another one where it's an overwhelming Trump state, but looks like he's he's well ahead uh, just because he, he knows his state. He knows and he's good. He he's a he's just a good politician. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those those factors. Yeah. And you know, I always wonder about the. Uh, 
you know, North and South Dakota, the, the nature of politics, because it's it's pretty close to possible um, to, to know everybody. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know. that, that's how High Camp won her first race. You know, she um, that was an out of left field upset at the time. And it was just because she outworked her opponent. And then you literally meet, you know, you know, thousands of key voters. And then that's a sizable portion of the population. Well, I, I also remember going back to uh, to 2016 here in the state of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you know, literally no one thought that Ron Johnson right. was going to win right. re-election. No one. And, and he won. And he won. Pretty handily. <laughs> right. And he, got, he, he outperformed Donald Trump rather significantly. So that's one of those other cases. You know, what what is the quality of the polling here? I mean, there's a lot of polls out there. Yeah. Uh, but as you point out, you know, when you, you get down to the congressional level, um, have you been watching this uh, this live New York Times poll? Yeah. That they're doing? <laughs> it's mostly amazing that how few call, how few people actually <laughs> take the call. <laughs> Uh, no, that's exactly what I was going to ask you about. It's they're very honest about it, but I think I saw one congressional district where they had made what's like 316 cell phone calls and had gotten no no response. I think, zero. And, I think, and you can see it too in the age the age ranges. It's the 18 to 29 year olds that the time shows that they they just do not take uh, calls from pollsters. They do they just don't deal with it. Um, so it, it, it's remarkable and it, you know, it's why pollsters always struggle to how to balance everything out and how to make sure they're getting the right samples. Yeah. Th- this is not the golden age of, uh, of polling. So, uh, Kyle Cheney of, of Politico, what are you going to be looking at over the next week? What, what, what's, what story are you, uh, are you obsessed with? It's well, I want to see what the last ditch effort's going to be, um, by some of the president's allies to really, uh, sully the Mueller investigation and the ongoing probes, because there's going to be something they, they've been building and building and building for months. And what's it going to be? And, and does that cause the president to take some kind of dramatic action in the final weeks of the election cycle? Um, so well, that I would got be big. <laughs> yeah, it would. I mean, it, you know, we've been guessing for months who's going to fire, who's going to, you know, and it, it doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, if they feel like the walls are closing in and the election could go against him, you know, we may see a different uh, calculation uh, from the White House and, co- and his allies in Congress. I would expect that that if somehow Republicans retain control of the House and the Senate, that that would be the moment that Donald Trump would feel vindicated and would probably yep. make make that move right after right after the midterms rather than before the midterms. I- I think this is similar to a 2016 environment where everyone expects, or not everyone, but people are very pretty sure that Dems are going to take the House. And if you had a a reverse result, the the surprise of it Ah, would be so great and the boost to the White House would be so great. I think you'd see a very confident and emboldened president from that. Yeah, and and of course, if the Republicans do retain the House, it will be a a, it will be more Trumpian than Mm -hmm. the current House. I mean, this is this is not a status quo Republican majority. Yep. Oh, no question. I mean, just just the the, the retirement of Paul Ryan makes it a, a Trumpier house. Um, even the people running to succeed him are really hugging the president closely and will likely be influenced by the Jim Jordans of the world uh, to move in that direction. So, so yes, we'll see a, a much more lockstep house than, even than we've already seen. Kyle Cheney, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Anytime, and, uh, Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday and we'll do this all over again.